Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I am back. It is the end of a year, 2019. See you later. Beginning of a new year, new decade. Lots of excitement, fun, hope in the future. You know, I've been thinking about goals. Every year I, I make goals. I haven't made my goals yet. Still thinking about them. Um, every year I, I do the goals that I make because I write down my goals. And um, I believe there's a lot of power in that. But don't just write down goals for the sake of writing them down. Really think about what you want to do. Because if you don't believe in it wholeheartedly, you're never going to be able to set a path to get there. I will tell you though, There is one goal that I know I need to do, and that is to change the intro to this podcast because one thing I have finally, I will finally admit after three years of doing the podcast is that it is not a 5K, all right? I mean, it is if you're probably walking, um, but this thing, I cannot seem to end an interview under an hour. It's just too short. We need time to get the full story out of the incredible people I interview and uh, and to get the message from the experiences that they've they've been through. So we're going to change the intro, but you know what? Podcast is going to keep going and you're going to keep hearing Run This World interviews all through the year. Just make sure that you plan to listen on maybe slightly longer workouts in the future. You know, I do want to share one thought as we move into the new, new year. Um, and it's actually my friend up in Granby. His name's Paul Shavesty. He's an awesome guy. He's a businessman, um, now currently the mayor of Granby. Awesome guy, awesome family. He just loves business. He loves the study of what makes businesses successful, what makes people successful. Um, And I was sharing with him some of our recent business challenges at Skirt Sports and how we're starting to see a way forward. And it's exciting. Um, And he said, and he shared with me, he's reading some book. I don't know. He's always reading eBooks. He said that there's a lot of research that shows that when you're in in the grit, like when you're really struggling, when you're really like faced with the biggest challenges is when you will experience the most growth. Uh, you'll be the most productive. You'll be the most innovative. You will come up with solutions that nobody else thought of, sometimes ever in history, at least in your company, because you have to. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Because in the midst of all the stuff I've been going through with my business, we are coming through it with a clearer vision for the future which is exciting. It doesn't mean we're out of it yet. It just means that when you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the momentum starts to turn 
And we all know the beauty of momentum. So I'm starting to feel it. So get ready to go for another fun ride soon with me. Um, But you know what? In the midst of change, even though I'm not 100%, I don't have 100% clarity, I've just decided that I need to hang on to what's most important to me. Because if that foundation starts to slip, it makes everything else harder and even less clear. And I've been thinking more about what's important to me. And the list kind of goes like this, mostly in this order. Uh, Being a wife to my husband yesterday was our 23rd anniversary. Yes, I've actually been with Tim more years than I've been alive now. And it's, uh, it's a pretty special thing to get that far um, and to go through so many of the, of the different life experiences we've had as a couple. Being a mom. Tomorrow is my daughter's birthday. Wilder DeBoom turns eight on December 30th. Um, it is definitely the most special thing that I've experienced as an adult. Being a daughter. My parents, they live here now. It's amazing. I get to see them on the regular. And I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to have this adult relationship with my parents. My health, which is changing a little bit as I get older. My my physical fitness, um, my ability to chase those physical dreams is starting to evolve a little bit. And I, it's so important to me to stay on top of it. And if things in my body change, then I need to shift and find other ways to keep myself very healthy because when we lose our health, we lose everything. And finally, my career. And that is the part that's been challenged lately. You know, and here's the thing. I encourage you to do whatever feels right to you as you enter the new year. Set goals, don't set goals. Make them actual resolutions, don't make them resolutions. But if nothing else, think about the things that are most important to you. Write them down if you have to. And when faced with who knows what you're going to get hit with this year, you can take a look at that list and remember that those are the things you need to hang your hat on. All right, speaking of life changes, speaking of challenges, speaking of keeping a positive perspective through it all, you're going to love today's guest. She's actually been on the show before as a guest on the body issue, I think. It might have been called body positivity. I can't remember. Um, she's my buddy, Jen Rockstar Zabo. We have done quite a few (laughs) YouTube videos um, doing fun and interesting tutorials on various athletic endeavors. She's an amazing person. Um, She has done an Ironman. She has been a runner. She's been an endurance athlete. She went on the surfing trip with me last year and through the different life experiences she's had, she has found that the key to keeping herself positive and on the right track is to tap into what she calls her inner rock star. We're going to talk about that today. And uh, I think I think you'll like this conversation. It takes a lot of twists and turns. Jen is 
relatable in so many ways. She's funny. Humor is very important to her. Um, she, it's funny because we're all unique in so many ways and she's got a lot of unique stories, but like I said, so many things can be related on various levels depending on who you are and what you do. So Jen Rockstar Zabo, we sit down for over an hour in skirt sports and we just explored her world. You know, I think what bubbled up to the surface and the main messages are those of loving yourself and finding ways to be positive in this world. And as she said, tap into those things about yourself that make you sing. All right, everybody, let's bring her on. Here comes Jen, Rockstar Sabo. So what I was saying is that, oh, like I have this period tracker on my phone. <laughs> Do you have one too? Uh, no, I just write down the dates. Oh, you're old school. And I just looked at it because I came home yesterday and I was like, what is wrong with me? And all I, all I could do was like stick my hand all the way to the bottom of this Twizzlers bag and just like pound them. And then I looked at the app and I was one day late. And then this tiny thought crossed my mind and it was like, what if I'm pregnant? <laughs> Does that... Is that, what do you think about the situation? Um, <laughs> not a situation I would have to be concerned with, but a uh, high five for uh, possibilities, the act of possibilities. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, sadly, maybe the act is why this is not a possibility for you right now. Correct. Or you're not in a super hardcore relationship. No. And the act, fortunately, is still occurring in my household. That's, <laughs> that's is, awesome. That's why you is, get a high five. Well, yeah. And you know what, though? It's crazy because like the idea that you could actually have a child when we're both about to turn the same age. Right. We're, we are uh, round in the corner. <laughs> What's really happening is it's probably menopause, which is why my <laughs> period's late. Oh, which is so awesome. By the way, I do use birth control, so, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. Mine are closer together now through my rounding the corner to menopause. i get you closer. There you go. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. So, so one day will they just, will it just be all the time and I, then stop? I hope not. Hopefully there's uh, drugs for that when it comes time. Well, this is a really awesome way to open the second uh, appearance you've had on the podcast, um, and which really has nothing to do with anything today, except, uh, you know, it's fun to talk about. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Got to get it out there. I know. And you know what? I am going to have somebody on the show sometime talk about perimenopause and menopause and all this stuff, because we need it. We need some guidance. Amen. We need to know that the crazy is not that crazy. And that there's hope on the other side. Yeah, totally. Um, so, Rockstar. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. You're welcome. This is long overdue. Our first, uh, the first appearance you made was not like a, a solo interview. It was with a group of awesome, strong women. We were launching our new collection for 1X to 3X. And uh, we had this really cool talk about just like strong freaking women. It was awesome. It was Agreed. body, body positive. It was Bopo land. Right, right. And I've been thinking about you a lot. And you and I have done a lot of cool things um, with social media. Yes. <laughs> and other stuff. I mean, right. but where people may have seen us is on some of our, you know, widely acclaimed um, 
tutorial videos. Yes, that's right. Starting with the uh, triathlon uh, uh, T1 and T2. Oh, yeah. Oh, those were good. Okay, we're going to include links to those in the, in the show notes. But, um, you know, we call you rock star. So I was thinking about about this. Like, why? Why? Why are you a rock star? What is a rock star? And, you know, you conjure up all kinds of different things like drug overdoses and <laughs> um, lots of sex. You know, we can go back onto that topic. Um, One of my favorite, by the way. And, and just rock and roll, right? Like right. just living this hard life. Um, but I think there's a little deeper meaning behind rock star and why you have sort of adopted that word or phrase for yourself. Certainly, I think it um, came out of my love for rock music, um, uh, but it developed uh, after my divorce, uh, 2010, 2011, um, after I decided to move to Boulder because I was going to win my divorce if I did. Uh, that might come up later in this conversation. Um, and really being your, um, it turned into more of, it's not necessarily the rock star, the one that's under the spotlight, who's in front of the crowd. It's not the lead singer. Um, it's not the one who drives the fancy cars. It's not the one in our, you know, to, to bring it more into our community. It's not um, uh, about shining the spotlight or having those metal moments or having um, your famous finish line photos um, or having your name called. Um, along with a certain brand name of a certain triathlon company, <laughs> international triathlon, long distance. It's not about those things. Being your inner rock star, and notice it's your inner rock star. It's not your outer rock star. It's not your Facebook photos. It's not your awesome profiles. Um, for me, it's not the uh, sunrise photos that I love to take. But being your inner rock star is sort of the opposite of all that. Um, it's putting the spotlight on the moments that make you you that make you grow um, it's the moments that you learn from it's the moments that challenge you it's the moments when um, you're not feeling your best but it's those moments that bring you out to the next moment when you are your best or you can be your best or you can shine a little bit and so it's shining on those moments that we don't talk about i.e. our period moments our pre-menopause moments um, sidebar I was with some 13 year olds um, and an 11 year old last week I, I nanny on Monday nights and um, they were in the back of the car and I heard them whispering about menstruation <laughs> wait they used that word they did use that word first of all I almost had to ask they were like what do you know how to spell that because I don't um, but there was a discussion about that and that it, and they whispered it, and as it, w it was as if it was taboo. And it's those things, things that we consider taboo, depression, anxiety, menstruation, um, that, that we don't talk about as women that we should or that we don't let people know we have or are dealing with um, maybe um, not brilliant times in our household, whether it's in our marriage, i.e. getting divorced. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I won't whisper all those words. Um, or or struggles with our children. I kind of like the whisper. It's kind of. It like, makes it really dramatic. Do you remember that scene in Saint Elmo's Fire at the dinner table, and he, um, they were talking, and the mom always whispered something, and she'd be like, "Prison." <laughs> it's one of Rob my favorite Lowe. movies. Rob Lowe was the character. <laughs> Anyways, 
so it's those moments. It's about accepting and appreciating um, yourself when you're in those moments. Um, so let's talk about a bunch of those moments today. Let's do. Let's talk about the whispered moments, Ooh. right? Yes. Ooh. You know, let's let's like whisper those moments um, to kind of share the course of your journey. Okay. You know, let's let's go through some of them. So like you mentioned being in the car with 11, 12, 13 year olds, like what were you like at 11, 12, 13? Was there something going on at that part in your life or point in your life that, uh, you know, had a big formative effect on who you are now? Oh, my God, this is deep. Uh, and this is what we talk about at therapy. I often this refer to therapy. myself. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I often refer to myself very often uh, reflecting back and saying the 12 year old me, the 12 year old me, this, the 12 year old me feels that the 12 year old me, this. So my therapist finally asked me what happened when you were 12. And I said, well, I don't really know, but let me think about it. And you know, we, a couple sessions, like many sessions, Tuesdays at five, um, we kind of get down to, I felt awkward when I was 12. I was different. Um, I didn't, uh, you know, it was, uh, how old was I? It was 1984. Um, um, you know, I loved Rick Springfield and Olivia Newton-John, and I listened to my records on the record player. Um, and Hey, I'm relating. And danced around the house. And um, I didn't have a huge influence on styling and doing my hair and wearing um, uh, more... I would say girly type clothes. I was just me. I was awkward. I grew different. Um, I was shorter. Uh, I was always heavier. So it was just a, a time in our lives. And uh, you know, I started my period when I was twelve. Uh, it was March. I was on break. <laughs> you remember it? Well. Oh, I remember the day very vividly. <laughs> Cause, um, yeah, because I had the weirdest stomach pains and didn't know what it was. Um, so yeah, turns 12, out they weren't stomach pains. Yeah, it turns out. <laughs> um, so yeah, it ta- it was a very influential time in my life, and there were girls at school, you know, that were um, into more makeup and into different music. Uh, they slowly swayed me on the music side. Um, you know, they had sisters maybe that were more influential in teaching them to do their hair, and that's just not something. We did. I didn't grow up with a sister. Uh, closest thing I had is is my cousin Nicole, but she was in Iowa, and I only saw her for like two months every year when I went back for summer vacations. So I just didn't have that influence. Um, and my, you know, I just was a social butterfly and worried about those things and not necessarily appearance. And so when you talk about the twelve-year-old me, do you look at her fondly, or do you say, "Oh, she's." She's the source of, you know, something going that went on later in your life. Oh, I think she's the source of things that went on later in my life. I think that I, you know, felt different. I was told I was different. I was teased that I was different. Um, Like who told you you, how are you different? I just didn't fit in. Again, I didn't wear the clothes that everyone else wore. Um, This is my recollection. I'm sure that they, I would say I was probably bullied a little bit, but like bullying wasn't as uh, named in 84 as it was probably today and resources probably weren't as available. Um, It was just, you know, a different influential time and it was pre junior high for us. 
um, yeah, that's about it was. And then two years later, my parents got divorced. So I'm sure that combined that whole 12, 13, 14-year-old age was super impactful on my today. Okay, so so I have a little bit of a picture of this 12-year-old, right? So your parents split up. Uh, who'd you live with? I went to live with my mom. And uh, how did life change? Oh, life changed. Well, in two years, from 12 to 14, um, when I was 13, I started to run around uh, with, I guess you would say, the bully. And I became the bully's little friend. I'm trying to paint a picture here. This is what I recall. Um, and, it, and it was fine, but I wasn't making smart decisions because I was, I was the follower because I, I felt like I was in and that I, w- I belonged um, because this person was showing me attention. Um, and then, uh, you know, junior high hit. And then, actually, I think I was in junior high at 12. I can't remember. Um, and then uh, at 14, when my parents separated, uh, a couple influential things is it wasn't like we didn't, like, have a choice. Um, my dad stayed in the house and my mom uh, moved on the other side of the mall, very uh, impactful Westminster Mall. Uh, so we were on one side, my dad was on the other side then. And my mom just sort of made the choice for us, uh, my brother and I, he was 16. Um, so I went to live with my mom and I distinctly remember um, how often, I actually took advantage of the situation. I was smart enough to know that although I belonged or I felt that I belonged and I was in with this group, that it wasn't the right thing. So I took advantage of that. And um, when when certain friends would call and they would say, hey, can you go out or can you meet at the mall? Again, they lived on one side of the mall. I now lived on the other. The mall was a very, very big part of my uh, upbringing. Um, as soon as we uh, they would call and my, I would shake my head no when I was asking my mom and she would say, no, you're grounded or make something up because she knew that I was smart enough to make those decisions. And then I then it just kind of started another journey of making a new set of friends in ninth grade. I mean, this all actually sounds very positive. Like the twelve year old you led to the third these three years were big years. Led Huge. to this like thirteen year old seeking love and acceptance and you got it from the wrong person. And then at by fourteen, here you are like turning it around already. Like you're you've learned right and wrong or something you know so like is that how your recollection like how did how did life evolve from there in a way that can sort of advise us on on where you are today uh well that's a lot of years I know it is because um, <laughs> we are going to be 48 <laughs> we are around in that corner but, you know like this is often those those early teen preteen years are really tough right because everyone's awkward so like that's not surprising but you know you kind of ended up on the far side of the spectrum of like actually being bullied and then actually tagging on to the bully which was is a really interesting like concept to me you know but it makes so much sense um, but then it sounds like you made your way out of it. It's like you got out of the gang, right? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, did you ever find your way back in there or was this just the way to the a new, more positive path for you? Um, I would say it was a new, more positive path, but I wouldn't say it was, you know, it wasn't this rainbows and unicorns um, difference. Uh, I was just made, I was just more aware. Um, you know, I still struggled with body image because I've been told so many different times things were wrong with me or I was too heavy or I was fat. That word's used a lot. Um, and, uh, uh, but yeah, I just, you know, influences in great, in junior high, you know, you mix in junior high, you mix, um, grade schools, more grade schools come in. So you have more people to lean on and, and find your way with, and you find people that you want to hang out with. Um, and then when high school, you, in high school, you get, a couple different middle schools who then had more grade schools. So you have even more of a diverse demographic to meet people. Um, still, I remember high school, I was still awkward. I actually would never want to go back to high school. I hated it. I loathed it. It was definitely not the best time in my life um, until about my senior year. Um, and I just <clears throat> met a whole new group of people who are still in my life today. So that's kind of how that works. Um, but, uh, yeah, kids are mean. I mean, were you just, did you feel like, I don't know, you, three years of forcing yourself to go to school every day and hating it? Oh, I, well, it wasn't always a force. Uh, I'm an extrovert, if you didn't know that. And so I love people. Um, and regardless of, I mean, I can reflect now and say I disliked it and I hated it because um, it was a very challenging time for me. Uh, emotionally, I would say. Uh, but, uh, I still went to school. I still went to be around people and I still do that now, like even on sad days and I don't want to get out of bed. I'll force myself to get out of bed because I want to go be around somebody and I'll find something to do. I'll go to the gym. I'll go to the grocery store because there's people and humans there. So I, I do like contact. I do love human, uh, surrounding and but I don't, I don't know. I didn't think I was going to reflect that far back. Now you got me thinking. I, yeah. I mean, this is all part of it. Yeah, you know, we got to kind of like dig back into your inner rock star and how she's been able to, you know, form a new core inside of you. Um, well, and, and, you know, we've also over time talked a lot about anxiety and depression. And I wrote an article a while back about running and depression and, and you had some great insights. So I was thinking about that too. And I wondered if you can pinpoint when you started to have those feelings in your life. Um, looking back now, I think I've had anxiety at minimum, like almost my whole life, but never named it. Um, it was 2006. Uh, I was married. Uh, I had been running and exercising and lost about a hundred pounds. Um, and I was training for my first marathon, um, and my husband at the same time, um, was diagnosed with, uh, cancer. Uh, and I remember that's when somebody named it during all of that. I went to a therapist for the first time in a bazillion years. I probably went once or twice as a teen. Um, my mom did her very best, um, at, at that point, um, to encourage and comfort um, my mom's a nurse 
she is a nurse practitioner. She was an RN at that at, in my teens. So she was very comforting and supporting and very much like a nurse um, trying to heal me and doing what she can resources-wise. But I never went to therapy when I was younger, uh, or it never stuck. Um, and then I went to therapy in 2006. And the first therapy session, she was just like, you're tired. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And she's like, you're tired. And this was, you know, you kind of went to therapy because you were struggling through your husband's diagnosis uh, yeah. and treatment. Yeah, and, w- and what my role was, which uh, I didn't know then and probably didn't do it right and probably springboarded actions of four years later. But um, yeah, you, you just, you get confused and I didn't know what my role in life was. Here I was, completely changed my life around um, health wise, you know, it was 250 pounds in 200 and, or excuse me, in 2004. And, uh, two years later I wasn't and changed my life around and it was, it felt great. And I had developed a community and I had belonged and I was accepted. Um, and so all these things, and then, you know, unfortunately my husband was diagnosed with, with, uh, lymphoma cancer and, uh, survived by the way survived the cancer not my marriage (laughs) (laughs) that's okay um and uh yeah just confused about things um you know and it was almost near a cross point I had been at my career um I had worked at the grocery store since I was 16 um and kind of at a point where I was pivotal like maybe this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life and uh so just a lot of things going on and just went to therapy love therapy and so like did you find a match made in heaven with your first therapist you ever went to uh yes oh my gosh that's that's like lucky it was super lucky and I looked her looked her kind of up in the phone book because they you know it's a book with pages of numbers on it (laughs) the yellow or the white yeah yellow (laughs) yeah um and that's how you uh got a hold of people um so I looked her up in the phone book and probably a reference from you know the back of my insurance card but uh she spelled her last name the same way you pronounce mine or the same way some people pronounce mine so I was like she's got to be good because we almost have the same last name um just spelled different and so that's why I went to her oh my gosh so what's interesting is that you said your anxiety was named for the first time but one of the things I recall, I could be wrong, but in that article I wrote, I swear I was asking for like help help for people who suffer from anxiety and depression. And one of the things you mentioned was that you actually, you name mm-hmm. your anxiety. <laughs> I did name my anxiety. Uh, her name is Susie. Um, and she's a little bitch. Um, and Susie, com- Susie comes over and knocks. Um, I learned two things. First, I named her, uh, gave her a thing, talked about her being there. Um, and then I later learned uh, that you need to treat your anxiety as if it was a friend. Because um, here's the thing. If a friend comes over and knocks on your door and has anxiety or is anxious or something is wrong, they're crying, um, they're uh, uh, got some weird feelings, they're talking about something maybe not making sense, um, they're just worried, worried to death about something. What would you do? Do you fight your friend? Do you push on them? Do you deny them their feelings? Or do you invite them in and make them a cup of tea and say, come sit with me? 
So I, I'm not, I try to practice that. It's great that I can preach that, but admittedly, sometimes I don't. Um, but I learned that um, Andrew, my buddy Andrew, sort of my uh, spiritual guru, so to speak, um, uh, kind of taught me that and just like invite it in, let it be present. Don't turn your friend away. So it's funny that I had named anxiety and said, Susie's here. Um, it's almost as if we talk about, you know, Aunt Flo is here. Same thing. You accept Aunt Flo. She comes <laughs> once a month. <laughs> or ongoing. Or ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how old you are. From the age of, I don't know, maybe 12 till, I don't know. Maybe 48. Or 50. 58. Or however, yeah. Ugh. So, so you... You accept that that's part of your makeup. You have to accept that anxiety for some people is part of their makeup. And it, I'm not saying it's awesome. It's not. It, it's gut-wrenching. That's where I feel my anxiety is in my gut. Um, so how do you... I, I love this tactic. I mean, I think we can actually transcend it from anxiety or depression to other things in our lives even. Absolutely. You know, so think about that for our, all of you awesome listeners. What can you name in your life that uh, it just doesn't feel great and you need to reframe it and take it in and give it a hug and give it a name and, and try to let it run its course, right? I once had a virus for 13 weeks. Um, and Wait, you know, what, what, what? Tell me about this. How old were you? Um, 42. Oh my gosh. Okay, so what virus was it? Um, well, they didn't really have a name for it. It was just some sort of virus. Um, tired all the time, lethargic, didn't feel good, breathing wasn't so good. I took a whooping cough test. I was on two or three rounds of steroids, you know, a steroid pack, um, had some antibiotics, and it just had to run its course. But people, when you say, I don't feel good, I have a virus, exactly what you just said. What is it? What'd you have? I didn't have a name for it, so I named it Bob. Oh, awesome. So wow. sometimes you was just say helpful? virus Bob. It was hugely <laughs> helpful, and it was... You know, uh, it was hilarious amongst our my friends. And it's like, how's Bob today? Or I'd post on Facebook, um, virus Bob, this. And so it was kind of funny. So it so humor helps get through some of these dark times. For me, humor absolutely does. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, when people are struggling with depression um, or anxiety, the last thing they can imagine is trying to be funny. Like, how do you get yourself to a place where you can open up to humor? Well, I think it goes back to, um, for me, um, I'm the ex extrovert in the group. So um, I'm an extrovert. I'm a cancer. Um, what else do I have going for me? All of these things that make me social, a social butterfly, love people, care for people, um, want to make them feel better, uh, want to uh, create good experiences for them. Uh, I'm a ple people pleaser. Um, some of my strengths are being an includer, uh, winning others over. Thank you, Claire Benton, for those. Um, and a communicator. So those are some of my strengths and those are some of what I am. And so, yes, cheering people up and being trying to be positive toward others is always something that I try to do. Um, I can fully recognize and acknowledge that there are people who, with their depression, are like, leave me alone. Just, I want a book. 
uh, you know, I'll call you when I'm ready. Um, and so we have to acknowledge that people's spaces are completely different and how they can hold things is different. And it's not anything negative. It's just what feels good and comfortable to them. Yeah. Well, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think we have to let people figure out their own, I don't know, secret weapons, right? Right. And I'm glad you found some right. for yourself. Right. I don't um, want the, I would, the caretaker in me right away goes like, well, I would, I would encourage somebody like, have, go to a therapist. I'm not one, but you can come over and have coffee with me or tea or whatever. Um, but I'm not a therapist, but do you want me to help you find one? Here's do you how want I, me to help you name your things? Right. Do you want me to help you find a name? <laughs> yes. No, I love that. And I totally agree. And I mean, I think that goes without saying, like, these are all just our personal experiences. And yeah, professional help, you got to go there sometimes in your life. Right. And and, for and, some people, a lot. And you know? hate them. Hate them for seven tries. And if on the seventh try you don't want to go back, then find somebody else. But, like, give it give it a lot. And, um, I personally, um, uh, like more of the licensed, uh, social worker or licensed therapist. Um, just because for me, I just feel like I'm going to talk to one of my girlfriends. So why don't you help us navigate that world a little bit? I mean, there are, there's psychologists, there's psychiatrists, there's clinical psychiatrists, there's, you know, like you said, social workers, there's, Whatever. There's everything you can think of. I mean, how do you even get started in that world if you think that you want to go the route of getting professional help and guidance, which I also highly recommend? Um, I would uh, first start with your primary care and go in. And I've, I've had that conversation a few times and said, I feel like crap or I cry all the time or here's my situation. I'm going through a divorce or I lost my job. Um, uh, and, and say, I'm not feeling myself. Um, and they may or may not recommend, um, uh, uh, some sort of antidepressant, anti-anxiety. I'm not objective to those. I've not had positive personal experience, which is why I have to try so hard. Um, but I do believe that if they do prescribe something for you, try it. If you hate it, that's great, but try it and also, use other tools. So if you're reaching in your toolbox, maybe an antidepressant, but, um, or an anti-anxiety, but also pull out another tool to go with it. Cause you never use a hammer without a nail, right? So you use them both. Um, and I suggest the therapy with it because it's going to help the therapy for me. Most of the time is they're just navigators and I've just had great experiences with licensed social workers and or licensed therapist and not a psychologist or a psychiatrist can't say they're good or bad because I don't have experience with them but I feel like I feel the empathy from somebody who truly is in a, a therapy slash uh social working situation yeah just just my experience no know? I get it yep totally you know it's I want to go back to uh you said in 2006 you you realized that you suffer from anxiety, right? Or depression or both. Yeah. To me, they're one and the same, but yeah, I know. And they, my they, experience is a little bit different than some others. Okay. Um, and then four years later, your husband has, is in remission. Yes. And yeah. healthy. Healthy. And mm -hmm. 
and the hammer drops and your marriage is failing. Yes. And I recall that um, it was a fairly dramatic hammer dropping, like no nail used with this hammer. Um, um, it wasn't a choice I would have made. Um, not that I wasn't in it, not that I wasn't 50% responsible for it. Um, absolutely. But I would have, uh, I wouldn't have dropped the hammer just yet. I would have done other things or, uh, I had already been in therapy and taken that really seriously and he had done some himself. Um, but it was really hard for us to do and continue and wasn't working to do couples therapy. Um, you know, I saw the deacon at my church, uh, the deacon I grew up with, I picked him, I selected him. That probably, in hindsight, wasn't fair to him. Um, we also went to my therapist for a couples therapy. That probably wasn't fair to him, but that's what I do is I, I try to fix it. Again, be friends with your anxiety but, and not fix it, but in this situation, I try to fix it or I try to find an answer, um, and I probably wouldn't have given up just then. Uh, and I had a very, very selfish year, which might have alienated him a bit. And so... What is that? Like, what do you mean by selfish year? Um, I decided that um, at that time, um, it was important in my life to aspire and train and become an Ironman. It was all that I had on my mind. I did everything around it. I trained around it. I surrounded myself with those people who are great people. Um, but... Uh, in probably recognizing that that was an opportune time to pull myself away from him uh, because we, I probably knew, but I just was blowing it off without, and refocusing my attention. And then when that was over, like literally when the race was over, the hammer dropped like, like almost literally. the next day. Like where were you? When I knew he didn't like me anymore. Well, I, weren't you at an Ironman? I was at my Ironman uh-huh. the night before my race. And an argument or something had, I wouldn't say necessarily like an argument, but like something had broke out or like maybe like, hey, do you want to do this? And you got a sort of not as awesome answer um, or just like, yeah, that's fine or whatever. I can't quite remember, but I do remember distinctly saying, do you even like me anymore? And why it came out like that, I don't know, but let's pretend I'm 12 Let's go back Uh to that. That's what you would say at 12. Do you like me anymore? Um, And he said, nah, uh, yeah. And I was like, that's it. Oh, that's like that emoji who goes, meh. Yeah, exactly. And he just, he didn't have the words and he was confronted with something. And uh, wow, yeah, we were out of the country at a Penticton, Canada and that's what I... And you were doing an Ironman the next morning. The follow, Yeah, the following morning. We're on the way out the door to go. I think I was trying to get him to go. I can't remember. And if he listens to this, I'm so sorry if I have it wrong. But I think I was trying to get him to go to the athlete dinner the mm-hmm. night before. Uh, and he either didn't want to go or... Maybe I had made plans for him because he wasn't an athlete and I told him to go out with this person who's a friend of, I I don't remember. So it's interesting because like the question you asked him, what, you know, 
what did you expect him to say? You know, like we do these things to ourselves too. Absolutely. Oh my god. And gosh. so you were like, okay, then I'm just going to set it up to be done or something. You know, there's something inside you that was driving you to put him on the spot to make him have to answer that question. I know. Well, and look at the way that I asked it. Like so incredibly, like I could have said, you know, where do you think we are in our marriage? And hey, like so many other things I could have said, but in the moment, that's the thing that came right out my mouth and out of it was it's surprising to me today to to yeah. think about it um yeah i'm sure i set myself up for that um so we got back i'll just fast forward uh we got back did not finish the race we'll put that out there um we got back from canada and uh i went back to work and my first day back at work i was laid off uh and i went yeah and then i went home that night to tell him and he was I'm paraphrasing. This is what I remember hearing. I'm sure it's not the words he said, but I, I said, you know, I got laid off today. And he said, well, that's okay. I don't really want to be married anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, he wow. took his stuff and the dog and moved to his mom's. Wow. You had the trifecta. Right. Oh my God. Talk about digging a hole and a little deeper than at any other time in your life, I'm sure. Um, so this just all kind of played out then. Over the course of a short period of time. Yeah, a couple, less than a, about a couple of weeks. Oh my gosh. So you mentioned like trying to win your divorce. <laughs> I actually thought that was funny. What do you mean by that? <laughs> uh, well, again, who knows what gets in your head in those situations. Um, so I lived in the house for uh, uh, like four or five months um, before we really knew what we were going to do. Uh, stay separated, file for divorce, uh sell the house whatever the whatever it was and um so I was uh looking for a job because I was unemployed um and uh I had already established this community up here since uh 2004 so I had this six-year-long community I had established in Boulder uh the job I had lost was here in Boulder um so I I kind of like this was my calling I knew I, I was meant to be here and it felt good to me to be like, no, fine, you can take the house and everything that it represents and I'm moving to Boulder. Like, so that's what I mean by win my divorce. Like, haha, you got everything left. I don't know why I'm saying it that way, but that's kind of what the, <laughs> you got everything, nothing you changed for want. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. No, you're right. You got everything you left and didn't want and I got to move to Boulder. Yeah. And that's a positive outcome in a way. Yeah. It turned out to be pretty good for me. Oh my gosh. I mean, can you imagine being married to him still? Absolutely not. No. I'm, I'm sure I would have come to the point where I was realizing it wasn't working. Um, uh, but I, I think he's super happy I hear. I don't talk to him ever. Um, and you know, has a, has a whole new life and. And so do you. Yeah. And exactly. how cool is that? Exactly. Very different, but yeah. You've had a lot of growth in these years. You know, you... Um, I'm going to be five foot someday with all this growth. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> We're going to try, though. Um, we'll get you one of those hang bars. Sweet. Just hang all day. Um, so... But that only makes my arms longer. <laughs> That's really true. Oh, my God. Okay, so I love your story about how you discovered running. I want you to share it. Uh, that my brother, that I got suckered out of a bet from uh -huh. my brother? Okay. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, 
early 2004 football season. I uh, was over at my brother's house, and he's a, he's a runner. My sister-in-law's a runner. And they were talking to my husband um, about, you know, you should join this training club, and you should do these things, and it's going to be really great. Um, and so my husband was kind of sold on the idea, um, but my sister-in-law uh, and my brother were working really hard on 250-pound me, um, and I was like, I'm, I'm not sold on this idea at all. And I think, like, like if the Broncos won the football game, um, the deal was I would go to this orientation for this training group to train for the Boulder Boulder. Um, and I did. The Broncos won. I don't remember how, how I got suckered into it exactly, but it was totally a sucker. Like, just come to the orientation. Just go. Just listen to what they have to say. And my it's like a timeshare thing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and my husband had to work. So then it was also like, just go and listen for him and let him know what he's going to be doing. And I walk into this like, like, oh, it was a room at the formerly known as Boulder Center for Sports Medicine. And so here I am at Boulder center for sports medicine like things words i have never heard before in my life sports medicine um and it's like it's march and i see all these people in the room um and they all appear to be super fit and to me they all appeared super tan and i remember saying like it's freaking march how are you getting tan you know you just don't do that and um uh I remember them, some of them were reminiscing about a race they just did. They ran this like 13.1 mile race um, in Moab, Utah called Canyonlands. And they were just coming back from that and sharing stories. So the guy started talking. There's this guy, he's like, hi, I'm the executive director of this training group, blah, 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 blah. And that's exactly what it kind of sounded like because they were talking about lactate threshold runs and tempo and it literally could have been the teacher from peanuts because i was not picking up it was like (laughs) and i had no clue what they were talking about it was so incredibly foreign to me and i was getting like i was shaking and you feel kind of clammy and you get that feeling in your throat like it hurts so bad because you're like don't cry don't cry don't cry don't lose your shit i didn't belong i didn't fit in there i knew i wasn't one of them And so I just was so incredibly awkward. And just then, before that, like, my throat caught on fire. I don't, is that my chakra? I guess so, yeah. yeah. Um, Colleen Cannon would know what that is. But uh, my little throat chakra was just, like, completely closed. And just at that moment, they broke and said, okay, if you're in a training group, here's your coaches. And they announced all the coaches uh, all looked, appeared at that moment to be super fit. Um, and I told my sister-in-law, she's like, I'm going to go meet my coach. She's over here. And I'm like, I'm going to the car. And I was ready. I was done. And I went to go out the door and I had my hand so close to the handle. It was, my fingertips were just touching it. And this person put his hand on my shoulder and said, hi, I'm Scott. Do you have any questions? And I was like, oh my God, I can't even run to catch the phone. And he turned around and he said, that's okay. You're just the kind of athlete we want to work with. And I died, just died. Oh my, oh so my God. Talk about being accepted, yes. being told that you belonged. I mean, in, in like a matter of a half a second, like the whole perspective changed. And I will say we need to give some kudos to this, Scott, you mentioned, don't you think? Oh, he absolutely gets kudos. So Scott. He's been very, uh, a very good mentor and blessing to have in my life. Yes. And continues to be in many, many different ways. And, you know, for all of you who maybe 
wonder, should I go say something to that person? I, I say, what's the worst that can happen? Don't what be could, shy. Go say something. If they don't want to talk to you, oh, well. But, but uh, it could make a, like, it make, could be their life. It could change their life forever. Just smile. Just say hi. Include them. Um, yes. Ask them if they have any questions. You know, don't, don't be the expert. And, you know, Scott did a very good thing in that moment. You're just the athlete you want to work out, work with. Um, let me introduce you to somebody. And he introduced me to, um, at that time, one of um, Boulder's uh, leading Athena athletes. And, like, I didn't know what he was doing at that time. And he wasn't manipulating anything. He just knew that there was, like, I needed to be told I belonged. And I needed to see other people um, who probably has been, had some struggles with weight and self-esteem like maybe I did. And, and again, it was, you know, one of Boulder's leading uh, Athena athletes. You know, and it's interesting because there's also this idea of visibility, which is what you're talking about right now. Like we often think we can't do things until we see people who are like us that do them. Absolutely. And then our or worlds. we're told through media, through different forms of communication, we're told or we're given that idea that you can't because of this. You, for me personally, you look like this. Therefore, this is not attainable. You know, I feel like I have known you only in the, you know, Gen 2.0 or whatever version, right? After the 2004. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And so I didn't know the you before you were an athlete. I've only known you as an athlete. And I know I've known you since you've been injured and on and off and had all kinds of other issues, which we all have, especially as we get older. Oh, goodness. And our bodies don't cooperate, do the things we want them to do. Um, You know, I thought it was really, I was really happy last year when, you know, I, I put the word out, hey, does anybody want to go surf with me? in Costa Rica, try something new, like scary, life-changing, and you're one of the people who raised your hand and made it happen. But here's the screwed up part, but I think this is also a testament to who you are, so I want to kind of expand on this part of the story. You and I had decided we were going to do a weekly workout for 12 weeks. We did one or two, and your back went it yep. like went like it was not just like oh my back's out today and it'll be fine tomorrow it's like you had a medical issue and you literally like couldn't work out or you could barely work out no so you had to we had to stop the weekly workouts um and I didn't even know if you were gonna go correct I didn't know I was gonna go uh it turned out that I um had a bulging disc that I I knew about but um in conjunction with that or at the same time I was also developing uh, like a facet arthritis which then grew a bone spur which then narrowed the facet joint where the nerve goes through the bone spur pinches the nerve the nerve gets inflamed the bone spur and so it was to a point where one day I just uh, I was noticing it in the morning and then one day I just couldn't get out of my car I couldn't make that movement right wait what happened that day the not getting out of the car day wasn't there wasn't there a day where everybody had to like someone had to drive you around uh no oh, that day <laughs> well I couldn't get out of the car I was it was a Monday I was running around with then the 11 year old I spoke about earlier she was a uh, little bit younger than that 10 or so and uh 
picked her up from gymnastics, took her home, hung out. Um, I want to preface that I'm feeling all these feelings in my back and this pain that I've never had before running down my leg. I didn't know what nerve pain felt like. Um, it's certainly not numb, that's for sure. Um, it, so it wasn't an asleep feel. It was like this weird radiating, and it would run down my leg and shoot my, out my knee, and I'm at a surgeon's house, and I say nothing. I say nothing. I pretend nothing's wrong. Wait, I, whose house were you at? <laughs> I'm like imagining someone could like immediately like bring you into their well, he's home, not, he's you not, know, OR. Admittedly, he's not a uh, back specialist, but he is a surgeon in the medical industry. And I do rely on him a lot when things happen, like, or I don't feel good or whatever. Like, should I do this? Should I do that? Um, don't you think if I don't call my mom? That? Yeah, but I do it too. Do. I they, do it too. They probably do. I call our friend Kitty when right. I have a totally different <laughs> medical procedure. And she's a dermatologist and she helps me <laughs> do that all the time. <laughs> I've done that before. Um, I think I was at Kitty's house the other day for the same or something. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, uh, I waited till and I called my mom on the way home, who uh, is a neuro nurse practitioner. And I was like, I got this stuff. And she's like, okay, this is what, you know, this is what it is, or this is what I sub- you know, think it is. Definitely go get it checked out. Can you make an appointment tomorrow? And I was like, I can't last till tomorrow. And I'm crying hysterically. Um, I'm home alone. A big part of my life is going home alone and not having someone there. So I have nobody to rely on but my mom on the phone who's 30 miles away, um, which isn't that far. But um, that night, it seemed like it was light years away. Um, and she said, go to the ER. And when my mom gives me permission, this was like the mom who never let me be sick from school. Um, and if you were sick, you were truly sick. It wasn't like you get to watch MTV all day or, or whatever. You were like sick in bed. And so I never stayed home from school because my mom's a nurse and it, I was so abused that way. <laughs> Just kidding, mom. <laughs> um, so uh, when she says, go to the ER, and then she, she laid it out. This is what's going to happen. They're possibly going to give you an MRI. It's going to be the most expensive MRI of your, of your life, but they are probably going to give you a pain reliever. So don't drive. And I was like, well, shit, you're 30 miles away. Who am I going to call? It's 10 o'clock. I just left a surgeon's house. I'm not calling him back to say, oh, by the way, I'm going to the ER. Um, I just left your house when I probably could have just had him take me or whatever. Uh, or, one, you know, his wife. So um, I called an Uber. That's why they exist. And I took an Uber down to the ER and um, it kind of went exactly as my mom laid it out for me. On my way, I had texted uh, my best friend, Scott, and said, hey, just to let you know, different Scott. Um, hey, just to let you know, going to the ER. Um, I also texted my uh, friend, Ashley, so that people knew where I was. My friend, Susan, was out of the country. Um, so it's kind of like my triage of people of letting know, you know, we all letting know each other what's going on. Um, and uh, so... Uh, I went to the ER and I sat there and just exactly what my mom said, they offered to give me an MRI or they said, you can follow up tomorrow, different amount on your insurance. And um, likely it's your herniated disc or at that time bulging. And, but we need to look at it a little bit further. And by the way, here's a Percocet and a prescription for you to fill tomorrow. I was like, all right. So while I'm in there, Scott, God bless his heart, drove up from uh, Louisville and uh, picked me up and took me home. Um, and that was probably a really exciting conversation for him after I had taken a Percocet. So I'm not really sure. But I wish you would have videoed it. A lot of people do that these days. Just video the loopy moments. 
on drugs. Well, it would it would just be getting even because um, he had uh, you know recently had just woken up from a coma, and so we had some pretty fun conversations when <laughs> when he was coming out of a coma. So he'd probably just be like, "Okay, now we're even." You know, this is just so deep. So you're back, like it was totally jacked, and, and this was a month. A month before. Before we left. Well, yeah. about a month and two weeks before we left for Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Well, and I remember talking to you through the next few weeks. And, and at, at a certain point, I remember you finally just saying, I'm just going to go. Because even if I can't surf, I'll just lay on the beach. I mean, what's the worst that could possibly happen? I've never left the continent. I've never been to like um, a beach. I've been to Daytona Beach. was never really in the ocean and I had just gone to Hawaii. So that's the only time that I've like, it was just an opportunity of leaving the country that I hadn't had to, you know, use my um, uh, passport for. And the only other time I used it was when I was in Canada almost 10 years earlier, nine years earlier. And not the best memory. And not the best you memory. You needed a new memory for that passport. Exactly. So like, again, what's the worst that could possibly happen? I go to, I show up in Costa Rica. I realize that I'm really uncomfortable. Um, I may have smuggled some more um, type of Percocet oxycodone and brought that, <laughs> that just smuggling? in case. Really? No, it's not really. I was okay. in a prescription. <laughs> um, it was legal. But um, it's more fun to think it was smuggled. Yeah, yeah. So I went and it turned out I surfed for four and a half days you were I cut it off the fifth day because I was done but I might have been done anyways because that's it's hard it's exhausting it's super exhausting and you were oh and we did yoga too we did yoga we did it all we had a blast and you were up on the board like immediately there was no I'm just gonna lay on the beach that didn't happen jump right in it you did trial by fire I had a great training partner, so that probably helped it too. Seeing Emily, you know, here I am on my back, you know, you know, however it goes through your head, I, I can't say I verbatimly said anything, but I knew I was training. Um, training partner, we shared the same uh, instructor uh, with Emily Harvey, and just seeing her like, fuck it, I'm going to try it. And she's... Uh, she probably didn't say that. I probably said it for her, but... She, and funny, she's been on the podcast a couple of times too. And um, if for anyone who hasn't listened to her, she's an amputee athlete who's a complete badass, has f- done an Ironman, finished her first Ironman last year, this year, this year. And... Uh, no, I think it was 18. It was 18? I think so. Yeah, it might have been 18. I don't know, but she's a badass. And I was all worried, like, the guys need to help know that you're, you know, you're an amputee and, like, help you figure out your legs and what you're going to do. And she was like, nah, it'll be fine. I'm going to get like, there. She was like, I got this. She, she was like the best surfer in the group. She was amazing. Uh, amazing. So, I mean, I think the point, though, is we sit there and we think, like, all the things we've been talking about are sort of coming together. It's like questioning ourselves it's being hit with barriers it's dealing with uncertainties and anxiety and yet you asked yourself at the final hour what's the very worst thing that could happen and I that's don't it. surf I, I lay in water um I get a noodle and I lay in the ocean um you know uh the Atlantic or whatever that little cove of water was that led to the Atlantic, you know, that I've never been in before. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. And it, opportunities like that don't always knock at my door. Um, and, and, you know, I had to save up, I had to work hard. Um, 
Uh, I'm not a wayward traveler because uh, I don't have a money tree in my backyard. It's just me and just what I've got, the, you know, the jobs that I keep and the, and the hustle that I do. So like, I wasn't going to give that up because my back hurt. I was worried about the airplane flight, um, being awkward and uncomfortable sitting that long because we flew to Canada first. Yeah, that was an interesting itinerary. Yeah, I'm just going to let that sit in for a second. (laughs) Going to Costa Rica from Colorado via Toronto. Okay, now that you guys have seen that little airplane fly in your head. But I called the airline and I said, hey, I'm really worried. You know, I just want to make sure that I have an aisle seat so I can get up and walk and pretend to like walk to the bathroom or whatever a million times. And they said, no problem. Hey, can you send us a doctor's note? And I sent them a doctor's note. And it, they said, great. And then I went to check in and they gave me an entire row. And so I like laid down on the way to Toronto. I like had the whole row. Oh my God. That's absolutely amazing. Shoes off, of course. You know, this kind of leads into another um, topic that we talked about last time I saw you. And it has to do with travel and seating. It does. Um, I don't know. Let's share it. Tell me, tell me uh, let's share with everybody what experience you just had. So we talked about uh, starting off 2020. This is, you know, relevant to the story. We started off 2019, excuse me, um, with a back injury. I did go surf. I had a great time. Um, I came back and just really worked really hard to pretty much triage uh, my spine and strengthen the area around it. And um, and uh, I sort I I'm not going to run anymore. It's going to be it just won't help it. Um, so I gave up running, um, and then I had a little pity party. I had a lot of pity party, um, and I also took on another full-time job this year. So uh, pretty busy, didn't always exercise, certainly couldn't just run out my front door because I wasn't running anymore. Um, hiking sometimes hurt just based on duration. So I didn't get out as much, and I also didn't eat differently. So I didn't. So I gained some weight. Let's just, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not naive to it. I certainly know. Um, so that's important to the story. So we move on the rest of the year. Life is life. Um, and uh, I took the opportunity. I was going to support a friend um, at an Ironman race uh, who was possibly going to get start the race or do the entire race. Um, and this friend uh, means the world to me. Um, and uh, he is... Uh, his time with us is shorter than we would think. So fuck it. He's going to go do a race, right? That was his attitude. And that's great. So I said, if you're going to go, I'm going to go. I'm going to be your emergency contact so that, you know, whatever. So it was great. And then uh, I told Scott, uh, my best buddy Scott, that I was going. And he's like, well, if you're going to go, I'm going to go. I was like, all right. And then our friend Katie goes, well, if you two are going, then I'm going. So it wound up being three of us. Now, here's the thing. I can't go to an Ironman race. I kind of know too much. Um, and just kind of hang out and not work because I can't stay still. And let me, let me preempt this by saying that, um, you know, you are of course, and have been the volunteer, like Ironman volunteer. Well, I don't even know the title. Captain. I think it's 
directors director for uh, Boulder Iron Man for mm-hmm. a number of years. Mm-hmm. And so when Jen says, when you say, I know too much, people are like, oh, she knows too much. No, she really knows too much. She's like behind the scenes knows too much. She knows too much as an athlete. Right. So I get it. Like you're driven when you get there, you got to run around and help people. Right. Right. So I let the, I knew about a month ahead and I called the race director and said, I want to come down. I want to be your unofficial staff. Let me be somebody, let me be your like, your go-to if something needs done. Because I know that stuff happens race week. And wouldn't it be nice to just have somebody you can call on the phone and be like, can you go help us over here uh, race week? So we went down, Scott and I went down together a little bit early. And that's kind of the role we played. Um, That race director has been hugely supportive in my transition into becoming a volunteer director. So why would I not want to go down and support her? And she you know, welcomed us in and made us feel belonged. And we got, you know, I, you know, brought my Ironman gear. And so, uh, so that's why I was going down for Ironman. Uh, we left late one night. It was a, like a, I don't know, midnight flight or so. And Scott and I drove to, uh, or got to the airport together and, uh, we're sitting there waiting for our flight and they're calling, uh, they're calling boarding numbers or sections or whatever it's called. Um, and, finally we just were kind of standing there just kind of waiting to be called and the uh um ticket agent um not the one actually taking the boarding passes but the one kind of at the like answer your questions um kind of came up to me and I knew where my number was um my seating arrangement number I knew that I was going to be one of the last people on the plane and I had a carry-on and so he's like hey can I talk to you for a second I was like, yeah, sure. Do you want to take my, and I just kind of thought I was answering his question for him. Like, go ahead. If you want to check my bag, not a problem. Cause it, it, he, you know, turns out it was a pretty full flight, you know, and they announced that when you're sitting there. So it's the same thing you hear. And he's like, no, no, I want to tell you about this program. And I was like, what? And he, um, uh, he's like, well, and he kind of got quiet and, uh, it was kind of, kind of like an awkward, quiet, like whisper and kind of lean in. So he was kind of cutting, Scott off who was standing next to me um and uh he kind of was cutting him off and so Scott kind of like pulled pulled away and wasn't there for that part of the conversation and the first thing he said was like how do you feel when you sit in the seat and he kind of made the motion of the two armrests as if they were next to me um he's like how do you feel when you fit in this how do you feel when you sit in the seat do you fit and feel comfortable and right then with that like body language and with that motion or that pantomime of the armrest coming down, I knew exactly what I was talking about. And uh, this is when I get real and verklempt, so tears will come. And uh, I like, in that moment, like I just, I feel like I lost all color. I started to shake. My armpits are sweating. Um, And he just kept talking about this program called Customer of Size. Um, And, uh, uh, and then he referred to it as COS. So he said it once, and then he referred to it as COS. Um, and he said, you know, we have this program uh, with our airline for customers of size, or COSs. And what it is is that um, when you buy your ticket, you get a second ticket or a second seat for free. This is what you got to do. You can call. When you buy a ticket, you call and let them know. Um, you just fill out this, med- have your doctor sign this medical report and send it to him, which I was familiar with that process because that's how I got, when I went to Costa Rica, that's how I got the whole road to myself. Wasn't a customer of size for that. That was just a coincidence of nobody being on the flight and I got the entire row. So 
he goes through this and I'm, I'm dying because somebody called me out. I felt called out. I felt shame in those moments that I stood there, like every comment from a bully, every time I was teased, everything I never believed about myself, everything, every freaking bullshit story that I've told myself about my worth, who I am, my weight, everything, what came out in that moment. And I'm standing there, again, Scott's kind of in the background, because by now he's totally, my body language is showing something, this guy's kind of whispering, and so Scott can't hear it, and he's just, I can feel him sort of trying to listen, but sort of also off in the distance, and so the guy sold it to me, though, so he kept going, and he kept talking about, and I just, he's like, um, you get your doctor to sign it just send it in to us. And what happens is that you just need to check in instead of checking in with your phone, you just need to check in and get your boarding pass from an actual agent. What they'll do is they'll give you two boarding passes, one for you and one for the seat next to you. And I specifically said, well, does the person with me get to get on the flight too? And they're like, yeah, yeah, they can uh, board with you because you get priority boarding with those during the, you know, those who need extra time or help getting on the plane. So actually before like anybody else gets on except for um, the medical needs boarding. And so you think about it in the second, you know, I'm like, I wanted to get out of this situation as quickly as possible because it felt incredibly horrible. Um, and like I am now, I was super verklempt and I was just trying to hold my shit together. And I was like, great, give me it, give it to me. And he gave me my two boarding passes. I called over to Scott, didn't even tell him what was happening. I said, we're getting on the plane. And then I go and give the, the ticket agent or the boarding person my two things and I, and I start walking down that jetway. Um, and I turn and I look at Scott and I tell him the story. And he's just kind of like, doesn't know what to do in the moment, right? Um, and I said, I'm just, I, and I basically said, you know, like, shut the F up. Don't say a word to me. Let's get on the fucking flight is the minute the airplane takes off, I'm going to lose my shit, but I can't lose my shit. Don't talk to me because I can't lose my shit until um, we get in the air because everybody's now going to be coming on the plane and see me. And you just got on first. Yeah, and I just got on first. <laughs> no. But if I'm crying, people are going to be passing me. I'm not, I didn't need to sit in the back of the plane. So, um, like, people are going to see this girl in the seat crying. And I always sit in the aisle because I have to go to the bathroom all the time and I want easy access and I don't want to go through possibly somebody I don't know and swipe my butt as I'm walking, you know, in their right. face as I'm right. walking out. I'm super, super conscious of that. But luckily now I have this customer of size and I have this extra seat, a COS, um, and I have this extra seat. So Scott sits at the window. I sit at the... Um, aisle and the middle seats open with my little thing that says reserved with a red marker circled um and uh so we're sitting there and I'm just trying not to lose my stuff and I can you know I know him well enough like I know he wants to say something but he doesn't and then just at the right moment enough had sat and settled people are coming on the plane we're almost completely seated and he said there's that high tri hot triathlete guy you pointed out because earlier in the in the line I said I'll put 50 bucks down that that guy's going to Arizona. He's totally got triathlete written all over him. I can pick him out from a crowd. This is what I do. And so we're just kind of laughing. I'm like, look at the hot triathlete guy in the line. And sure shit enough, that guy gets on the plane. Um, and it's a full, full flight, except for, you know, a couple seats. And they're all middle seats. And, and I looked at him as soon as Scott said, there's that hot triathlete guy to totally like break the ice. Um, 
I look up and I looked at Scott and I said, if he makes eye contact with me, I'm sliding my fat ass on over and he's taking the seat next to me. <laughs> and sure shit enough, that's exactly what happened. Is he caught my eye contact. I was probably staring him down a little bit, let's be honest. He caught eye contact with me and I looked and I gave him like a head flick and then I kind of like pointed my thumb like I'll scoot over and he's like, yeah. And he comes over and he sits down. So now I'm sitting in, in my COS seat <laughs> and I've got hot triathlete guy on one side who's now on the aisle seat and Scott on the other side who let's just say you know there was a crush there at one time <laughs> so I've got crush on one side and hot triathletes on the other meanwhile my ego's like what just happened to you 10 minutes ago like you definitely weren't going to break down crying now no I wasn't going to lose my shit then um and so I just like within seconds turn around and like hi how are you my name is Jen and just totally like nervous talked well, come to find out, this gentleman, we'll stop calling him hot triathlete guy, um, is a personal injury lawyer specializing in bike injuries um, in the Fort Collins area. And, well, super relatable to Crush, who's sitting next to me, having sustained an incredible, tragic um, bike injury and brain injury. And so, like, the conversation back and forth between those two for the whole flight, and I didn't even really have time to think about anything. So this COS program is, like, brilliant. It allows you to choose if you want to sit next to someone or not. Well, I'm not sure I should have given up my seat, but I did in <laughs> no, the moment. I'm totally joking about it because it's, it could have actually been super awkward because he could have walked up and said, I'd like that middle seat. And then what would you say? No, I get two seats. Like, what the heck do you say? Oh, I didn't even think about that until this moment. And you're absolutely right. It could have been so much worse. Actually, that's something that, they need to think about with this program because it will put you in a very awkward position. I don't, well, first of all, I'm just going to say the balls on the guy to come up to me. It's probably was horrible for him to come up to me and actually talk to me about it, which is why I think he did a really good job of selling it. Um, I obviously didn't necessarily need it. Cause again, I sat in the middle seat with right. two people next right. to me. Um, um, and, uh, um, like it was probably harder for him to have that conversation with me and kind of uh, what I felt in the moment. And maybe it wasn't to him that, but I felt in the moment I was completely picked out of it, singled out of the crowd. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like he was scanning the crowd for the fat girl is kind of what I thought in the moment. And that was the bullshit stories that I referred to or what I thought of myself as I was standing there sweating. Like, can this, can we just get on the plane a little bit faster? That kind of stuff. Um, but the awesome thing is, is that now we know that a program like that exists with this particular airlines and how many people really are hindered by thinking that they would have to buy two seats and maybe, and maybe they do need to buy two seats, but now there's an airline that we know that offers this program. I don't think we mentioned what airline. We didn't. Do you want to? I think we hinted to it by telling you my boarding <laughs> <Okay, true>. section. <laughs> And I don't want to call them out because, again, that guy was just doing, he actually was probably trying to think he was doing me a favor, but he doesn't know where I lie with my self-esteem. Right. He doesn't know what I think of myself. He didn't know, you know, my year of struggles. He doesn't, or not struggles, but my year of just not running and, you know, right, healing right. from a back injury. So, like, um, he was just telling me about this awesome opportunity. And, again, he sold it. Like, I get priority boarding. If I choose to go on that airline again... On a trip, all I got to do is call him up and say, 
send me the form and then I buy one ticket and I get my second seat for free. I can always have the middle seat free. It's really interesting because it it actually is a positive program that can really help a lot of people, but it's the execution of the recruitment that is super weird. And I don't know. I don't he know probably how they didn't can... get extra points. No, I don't no. I don't know oh. what made him approach me. Um, yeah. Or what they what they teach them in their, you know, yeah. customer service classes. Um, I don't know how that is. I'm sure that they don't intentionally scan the crowd, but maybe I was just because I was standing there and I stood there for a while and it was just like maybe popped in his head. He knew about it. I'm like, hey, maybe I'm going to tell her. Yeah. Or maybe he thinks I'm hot well, and he's like, I want to hook up the hot chick. That's true. But you didn't really end up getting his number. <laughs> You bolted on the plane. You know, we have just spent over an hour talking about spotlighting those moments we don't talk about in our lives. And, you know, I think the main theme of bringing you on is to always remember that even when you're going through the crap, there is this inner rock star that is just waiting to come out and shine. Or maybe the inner star... It's not that the inner rock star is waiting, but maybe the inner rock star is just the person in there, the person with the struggles that you don't give the kudos to. You're not their fan, but maybe you should be. Maybe that's the person you should like the most. Maybe that's the person you should uh, put a medal around or call an Iron Man at the end of the day is that inner rock star, that inner person that you don't shine the light on, but who should, you know, we all should shine our light on our inner selves we all have that in us some people call it inner beauty um where does your strength come from do you shine yourself do you shine the spotlight on that inner strength or do you just think it's there well, it comes from someone comes from somewhere it does and a lot of times we we lose sight of it and i think the key is to find ways to reconnect to it and that's what you've done over all these years and over all these experiences you've had as you've identified that inside is a rock star. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mine has, you know, a mullet, definitely blonde mullet, a uh, uh, huge hair that my inner rock star does. What um, decade of rock star <laughs> is she? Uh, probably 86. I'm more of a <laughs> Pat Benatar, Stevie Nicks, uh, you know, I can get down with that. Rita Ford. <laughs> so we're going to wrap it here with the final question I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that oh, is, year. are you ready for this? If you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? If I can leave a nugget, I would definitely say be your inner rock star. But I would also say, Give yourself a smile every day. Guess what we're doing right now? Smiling. <laughs> it's contagious, you know. It is. And it takes more muscles, by the way. It takes more muscles to smile than it does to frown. So why not make me flex? I love it. Burns more calories. <laughs> awesome. Over and out, rock star. See you later. Hang, hang, uh, hang loose? Hang That's loose. Been, I don't know. Paravita. All right, I am back. So don't you love this? I mean, seriously, we spotlighted all the moments, the moments we don't talk about, the whisper moments. 
I love Jen. She's an amazing person. She's clearly been through a lot of stuff. She's got an incredible amount of tools in her tool shed, and I'm so glad she shared them with you today. You know, to me, one of the main messages that came out of this is the title of this episode. What's the worst that could possibly happen? I encourage you as you enter this new year and you're faced with decisions that might scare you to ask yourself that question. What's the worst that could possibly happen? Because in the end, usually (laughs) it's not as bad as our brain is making it out to be. If you want a little more Zabo, you need to check her out at Rockstar Zabo on um, Instagram. And Zabo is S-Z-A-B-O. So Rockstar S-Z-A-B-O. She is an open book if you suffer from depression, anxiety, um, body, you know, acceptance, anything. Reach out to her. She's just such a great person that you need to have her in your fold. All right, everybody, that is enough for today. As Jen likes to say, be your inner rock star. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and we'll see you next year.